Word, I'm gonna say the word. In the beginning was the word. What? Word. 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 Was the word. From the studios of KJZZ in Phoenix, Arizona, welcome to Word, a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. Here's your host, Tom Maxidon. Coming up on this episode of Word, it's National Poetry Month, and we'll talk with the recent Arizona winner of Poetry Out Loud, the annual National Poetry Recitation Contest. So you have competitions within your class, and then from there you go to the school level, from school, regional, regional to state, state to nationals. Plus, a novel of historical fiction about a female country music singer's last tour makes a stop at a famous Phoenix watering hole. I knew I wanted a fierce Western woman at the center of it, and I knew I wanted her to have a career that would make her be out in the world reckoning with art. But first, the Arizona State Poetry Society dived in last month to launch a youth poetry writing contest. Christy White is outreach coordinator for the organization, but her day job involves human resources in the Valley. I've been in the Valley since 2003, but before that I was in Tucson for about uh, almost 20 years. And so I've been here in Arizona for quite some time. I originally came from Kentucky. You can't tell it, though. (laughs) (laughs) Small world. Most of my family is actually from Kentucky, either in the Louisville or Lexington area. How are you connected to the Arizona State Poetry Society, and what interests you in poetry? I first joined the Poetry Society in 1996, about the same time my mother was president. And then I just jumped into it. I was in Tucson at that time, and so I also joined the Tucson Poetry Society, and I just got involved in the volunteer aspect of it. I was membership chair, treasurer, secretary, uh, and finally, along the way, I became president. But I just stepped down from the presidency in January, and I'm now the outreach coordinator. Well, that's why we wanted to talk to you, because there's an exciting contest going on that is aimed at students from grades 1 through 12. 1 through 12. I think in a lot of ways, because of many different forces, a lot of it being media and just the attention span of people, it is hard to get folks engaged in reading at a younger age. Is that part of why you do this poetry contest? That is part of why I do it, but I've been composing and writing poetry since I was very young, and I know that there are other very young people out there that are doing the same thing. You know, they're writing their poetry and they're feeling like, oh, nobody else is doing this. And this is a great way to start connecting them, as well as connecting us with the youth of this state that are writing poetry. And I'm very excited about this contest. It's something that I had hoped we would be able to do years ago, but it just came into focus this year. The deadline is April 30th. And just to be clear, it's not necessarily school-driven, right? But it could be if teachers wanted to incorporate submissions into their lesson plans, for instance. Right. It could be if the teachers are involved, that's great. If parents are involved, that's even better because that kind of support is invaluable. It doesn't have to be school driven, but I'm happy to say that 
we do have the, the many schools that are participating and from all over the state. So that's a great thing. And it's great for those kids that are writing poetry, too, to see that support. We will post the full submission guidelines on our website, word.kjzz.org. Folks can enter via email and also mail, and there's some particular guidelines that folks should pay attention to. Another great aspect of this to spark interest is that there are cash awards. They're split up into grades 1 through 4, grades 5 through 8, and grades 9 through 12, and that provides a little bit of extra incentive. Is there a limit on length, for instance? We did not put that in there that there should be limits. Uh, It's nice if they keep it to about one page because it's easier to read. And, uh, and it's easier for our judges. One to three entries, I've accepted a few more than that from some of the students, but uh, one to three entries is plenty to work with. And also, folks can submit in languages other than English, but it's important to note that they should provide an English translation as well. Yes, please do. I know that there are many languages that are spoken here in Arizona, not just the Native American and Spanish and English, but we have a big South Sudanese group of people that are here and others too. So I'm just excited to see what comes from that. We're going to have a group of readers that are going to go through the poems and then submit to judges. Another exciting aspect of this is that winning poems will actually appear in a 2023 anthology of the Arizona State Poetry Society. When will the winners be announced? I'm hoping that we will be able to announce them by the end of May. I want to give our judges plenty of time to take a look. They may be able to get to them sooner than that, but I just want to give them plenty of time. Christy White is the Arizona State Poetry Society Outreach Coordinator. Thanks so much for coming to Word and talking to us about the contest, Christy. Well, thank you for asking me about it. I'm really excited to see what it produces. You can find out a bit more about the Arizona State Poetry Society and the guidelines for its Youth Poetry Writing Contest on our website, word.kjzz.org. The contest ends April 30th. Coming up. A novel of historical fiction about a female country music singer's last tour makes a stop at a famous Phoenix watering hole. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word. It's a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. KJZZ and The Moth are bringing you The Moth Story Slam. It's an open mic storytelling competition in Phoenix. It's at the Crescent Ballroom on Thursday, April 13th. The topic is clean. Stories about spotlessness, your colossal messes, or your confessions. For germaphobes or slobs, it's a time for the tidy and the untainted. Tickets and information at themoth.org slash events. KJZZ is your source for news and analysis. No school is better than the quality of the teachers inside the classroom. Residents at three mobile home communities are being forced to move because the park owners have redevelopment plans. KJZZ is the Valley's news leader. Listen to KJZZ on air, online, and on your phone. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. A new work of historical fiction entitled The Farewell Tour by New York-based writer Stephanie Clifford often reads like memoir. 
It centers on a country music singer named Lillian Waters, who hits the road for one last tour, making a stop at a former famous watering hole in Phoenix. Of course, a wealth of female singers in that genre may come to mind, like June Carter Cash, Tanya Tucker, Loretta Lynn, Tammy Wynette, and maybe even the Judds. But Clifford, who's an award-winning journalist as well, says the novel isn't based on any real singer. She's a whole-cloth fictional creation, but I think maybe why it reads like memoir in places is because I wanted her life to be very realistic and for her challenges in the music business and as a woman during that time and her challenges growing up in in Washington State and the West to resonate and to make sense and, and be historically accurate. So I did a ton of research to try to make the events of her life and the, the particulars of her life realistic. A large part of the book is set in the region of the Pacific Northwest. And I think a lot of people, if they had to name a musical style related to that region, of course, would say grunge. Uh, yeah. Certainly, if there are fellow Gen Xers listening, like myself, you became familiar with a country music connection to that region, right? I actually came up with that when I was researching this book. So I, I did grow up in the Northwest. I happened to love country even during the grunge era, but I fell in love with it in Arkansas when I was uh, doing a summer of trail maintenance out there. So I came home, I was in high school, everybody else was listening to grunge and I was like jamming to country music and nobody knew what I was doing. <laughs> I didn't think there was any connection. I didn't really know a thing about West Coast country and certainly didn't think there was any connection to the Northwest until I started researching this book. And I knew I wanted a fierce Western woman at the center of it. And I knew I wanted her to have a career that would make her be out in the world reckoning with art and her voice and kind of making her path in this very, at the time, male world. And I, I was reading the obituaries, which I love to do. And one of the obituaries mentioned that somebody had been a country music producer out of Washington State. And I was like, what? Why was there a country music producer in Washington State? And I found that there was this little nexus of Washington and West Coast country in the 1950s when Buck Owens, the great California country player, was up from California running a radio station in Washington. Loretta Lynn was out there. John Rich, who's this fabulous electric guitarist, was making the honky-tonk circuit. And once I found out about that, I was like, that's it. Like She'll suddenly be reckoning with this very Western sound, with trying to compete against Nashville. Like The whole book sort of came together with that obituary. <laughs> That's fascinating. And I think one thing that I can say as a person who likes older country and Western, because that's what it used to be referred to as, right? Country right. and Western and Texas swing. Mm -hmm. I love the storytelling. I think that if they're fans of just music in general, they would agree that they're such rich storytellers. Is Lillian connected to that in a way with her music? Yeah, absolutely. Where she's really moved by the idea of telling a story through her music. And she's trying to figure out both who she should be artistically and who she, she should be commercially. And they clash for most of the book, really, until when she decides to start telling her own stories and writing songs about her own experiences. Before that, she is, is trying to make a living and trying to keep herself afloat. So she does have to make a lot of concessions to exist and to succeed in this, in this world of country music. At the same time, as you mentioned, there's this incredible history of, of country music, incredible sounds that I think if you turn on maybe the top 50 country radio, you're not going to hear. But there's blues influence, there's jazz influence, there's folk influence, there's all of these immigrant traditions and instruments that are 
really a part of country. And so I wanted to show that kind of broader, richer definition of country versus what we sometimes think of as, as country music these days. One of the reasons why we wanted to talk to you is because of a highlighted spots in this book that those in the Phoenix Metro will certainly recognize, and that's Mr. Lucky's. It was a former yeah. very popular watering hole here in Phoenix. It's been closed for some time now. Had you been familiar with that place, or did that come from your own research? That came from research, too. I, w I wanted to highlight some of these places, a lot of them now gone but to think about them in their golden era and how excited Lillian would have been to play Mr. Lucky's in Phoenix. She does a radio show in Mesa. And I wanted to bring out some of these Western spots connected with the country music tradition. Cause I think so often Nashville gets all the glory and the attention for country and the West coast has a, has such a rich country tradition. So I wanted to pull out some of those locations and people and sounds and kind of make the argument for the West coast sound. You are not only a novelist, but you are an award-winning investigative reporter. And one of the things that we talk about frequently on this program is the writing process. There are a lot of folks who, maybe if they're not professional writers doing it for a living who listen to this podcast, either are what I would call professional readers and that they're voracious, or they may dabble in it on the side. Research, obviously, is part of any reporting, and I'm assuming that that's one link between the styles. The research is certainly one of the links, as you mentioned. And one thing you learn in reporting is how to cold call people and ask them ridiculous things. So <laughs> I had no problem like calling up, ex you know, I called up a voice expert at NYU and at New York University. And I was like, can you tell me about what vocal cord surgery would have been like in 1980? Because Lillian, when she's starting the tour, one reason why this tour is so high stakes for her is because she has a polyp on her vocal cord and she may not be able to sing again. Um, I did the same with, she grows up in Walla Walla, Washington during the depression. And I called up a farmer there and just asked if I could spend the day with her in Walla Walla. And she very nicely agreed and like, let me show up. So I think reporting gives you the maybe courage or idiocy to, to call people you don't know and ask them, can you tell me about what, what you do and what you know. And often people are just incredibly generous with their time. I think the other real crossover here, I cover criminal justice, which means I'm in courts a lot and in prisons, I'm in jails. And often I'm investigating particular cases, particular crimes. And one thing you notice when you cover these cases is just how faulty memory is. Then you, you can hear about the same right. crime from like 12 different perspectives, maybe witnesses or victims. And everybody remembers something different. Everybody remembers things that couldn't be consistent. And, and so I wanted to play with that a little because Lillian is remembering her life and remembering particularly her upbringing and um, the reason why she left home at age 10, which, which she does. She leaves her farm, moves into town and starts supporting herself as a hired girl. And I wanted to play with the, the faultiness of memory and kind of blur the lines around that and have her have to go back and explore her own memory of what occurred. Seasoned attorneys on both sides, whether prosecution or defense, will certainly tell you the statistic that quote-unquote eyewitness testimony is one of the least reliable forms of evidence in a court of law, yes. particularly for many of the reasons that you just stated. Stephanie Clifford is author of The Farewell Tour. It's a novel, and I want to thank you so much, Stephanie, for coming to Word and talking to us about your latest release. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You can find out a bit more about Stephanie Clifford on our website, word.kjzz.org.
Stay with us as our Spotlight on National Poetry Month continues. Coming up, we have the Arizona winner of the national contest, Poetry Out Loud. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word. It's a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. Hey, it's Tiara. On All Things Considered, from KJZZ News and NPR, we hit pause on the news cycle for you, so you can get a handle on what you need to know and why it matters. Listen every afternoon from 3 until 6, on air, online, and on your phone. Whether your business is new or deeply rooted, large or small, you can share what's great about it while supporting a vital community service, KJZZ. It's a fact that listeners trust and support companies that sponsor KJZZ, and by becoming a sponsor, you build a stronger connection to everyone in your community. Get connected today at SponsorKJZZ.org. KJZZ's car donation program accepts all types of vehicles that support the programs you rely on. Whether it's a boat, car, truck, or RV, donating is easy and a great way to support your public radio station. Details at cars.kjzz.org. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. Poetry Out Loud is a national arts education program in which high school students across the country compete. It's a partnership between the National Endowment for the Arts, the Poetry Foundation, and state arts agencies. In this state, the University of Arizona Poetry Center is the agency of record. Biruni Hariati is our final guest and the Arizona winner of Poetry Out Loud. She's a high school student in the Valley and will advance to the national competition rounds in Washington, D.C. in May. I think I first met poetry probably in first grade when we had a unit in our English class about poetry. And I think right off the bat, it it was just something that interested me a lot because, I mean, I've always loved writing. When I first started writing, I wrote a lot of short stories, and that was something that was really fun for me. I loved like crafting a narrative, even if the narrative was super formulaic and not very um, high quality or complex. It was just something that I loved a lot to be able to tell a story in my own words. And when we started the poetry unit, I think I found that poetry offers a lot of freedom. I mean, when you write in prose, there are certain standards that you're expected to adhere to in terms of like grammar and punctuation. Right. And even just paragraphs. Meanwhile, in poetry, it's not necessarily that you have to throw them all to the wind, but you can engage with those standards as much or as little as you want. And sort of through how much you engage and indulge in um, the things like line breaks, um, punctuation, it sort of helps with how you deliver your message. I love how you describe that you met poetry as if poetry was a person and not just a thing. I really believe that that description helps to see it as a function of humanity. After all, writing is part of the humanities. I want to talk about the competition specifically. How many qualifying rounds were there prior to the state finals competition? And can you tell us a little bit about how the contest works? The idea is you start from the classroom level. So you have competitions within your class. And then from there, you go to the school level from school, regional, regional to state, state to nationals. It's a poetry recitation contest. And I think a misconception that some people have when I say poetry out loud is they think that I'm reciting my own poetry. Yes, um, which, point. Yeah, which is not the case. I'm reciting other poets' poetry. It's from an anthology online. And within my school contest, I had to recite two different poems and regionals 
two different poems again. And at state, I recited three poems. Can you recap the poems that you chose, at least for the finals, and what motivated you to choose those particular entries? The first poem that I recited was Mr. Darcy by Victoria Chang. And this one is my favorite poem because Victoria Chang, I'd never heard of her before uh, starting Poetry Out Loud, but she has this amazing, amazing style that is so incredibly clever. And in Mr. Darcy, what she kind of talks about is this idea of marriage and property and how those two are married in a sense, in that oftentimes, and especially for a woman, marriage is seen as a way to move upwards in society rather than a thing that comes out of love. So she kind of plays with this idea that even though this whole patriarchy is being something outdated, it's still very much something that's present today. And my second poem was The Wish by a Young Lady by Letitia Pilkington. When I happened upon this poem, it felt very fresh and new, and it didn't at all feel dated like some of the other older poems did. And in it, Letitia Pilkington talks sort of about the idea that, again, it's kind of commentary on the patriarchy. So that was my second poem. I'm sensing um, kind of a theme here. I want to go back to something yeah. that you said, though. Is it the structure of the poem itself? Is it that the language may not seem as erudite? What is it that makes you feel that something from that long ago is, apart from the theme, uh, what you just described, is relevant for today? I think one of the aspects is honestly that it's a really short poem and it's only eight lines. So even if the language does feel a little bit odd, it all just goes by in a flash and you don't really have time to get lost in it. And second, I think that it sort of feels like it has a lot of attitude, at least in the way that I interpreted it, in the way that I delivered her poem. I felt that it was kind of this, she was trying to talk about this feeling of despair, but also in sort of a mocking sense. To me, it just felt very modern and fresh and fun. And what was the third poem that you chose? The third poem was not completely in line with the whole theme of the first two. It was <laughs> called, it's called Mimesis, um, and it's by Fadi Judah, and it is a wonderful poem. It's also pretty short. Mimesis, if I remember correctly, um, I think uh, it refers to the idea of art reflecting a concept in real life. In the poem, Fadi Judah, he says, my daughter wouldn't hurt a spider, and how even when he told his daughter, if you move the spider web that's between your bicycle handle as well, then you can ride your bike around and you can have fun. And the spider will just know that it shouldn't come back there because you just brushed it off, right? And the way his daughter responds is, that's how others become refugees, isn't it? Oh, wow. Um, yeah, you're right about mimesis. It's a Greek word. The attempt to imitate yeah. or reproduce reality using art uh, or metaphor in this case what a fascinating metaphor that is. Well, as far as the upcoming rounds, what happens next? In May, I am going to Washington, D.C. And in Washington, D.C., I'll be representing the entire state of Arizona alongside the other 49 states and some territories. And in D.C., I'll be reciting two to three poems again. And I have the chance of being crowned national champion. Um, but I'm honestly just honored to have made it this far. so Well, we're very happy for you. And Arizona has always done quite well in recent years for this competition, Poetry Out Loud. It's a national recitation contest. 
And Baruni, I want to thank you so much for coming to Word and talking to us about the process and best of luck in Washington. Yeah, thank you so much. You can find out more about Poetry Out Loud on our website, word.kjzz.org. Thanks to everyone who became a KJZZ sustaining member recently during last month's March Knox Flash Fund Drive. If you missed your opportunity, no worries. You can still make a gift of support online at kjzz.org or by using the mobile app. Just click on the Donate tab. Portions of Word have been nominated for Edward R. Murrow and Public Media Journalists Association Awards. I'm Tom Maxidon, and thanks so much for listening. Word. Word? Word. Was the word. Thanks for listening to Word, a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. You can find all episodes online at word.kjzz.org or wherever you get your podcasts.